Welcome to the Business of Wrestling podcast, powered by Wrestling IQ. My name is Jeff Marsh. You might know me as the Wrestling Coach on YouTube or Facebook. With 35 years in the sport, I've been blessed to get to know some of the most innovative individuals in the wrestling niche. This podcast is going to give you direct access to their ideas, their innovations, and their passions. Because as I've helped build programs over the last 13 years, it's become very clear there's a deep need for support for coaches, parents, club administrators, and club directors who are working hard to build wrestling in their communities. As always, thanks for learning, and let's break this down. And welcome back to the Business of Wrestling podcast powered by Wrestling IQ. This is your host, Jeff Marsh, and I am here today with a former esteemed colleague of mine, one Jackie Davis. Jackie's going to be modest about her involvement in the growth of women's wrestling. She's been uninvolved the last couple of years building a family, but I've been chasing her down for literally 12 months to try and get this podcast today. She has a wealth of knowledge. How many girls were wrestling in New York City when you got involved there? That's a super good question. I think that by the end, we had somewhere upwards of 300 or 400 in New York City. And I don't remember how it started. <laughs> yeah, a handful of girls. So one thing that Jackie did on the boys' side, in addition, is they would do basically activations for rebuilding programs. And that's what we're going to discuss today, or starting new programs. They would go in, they would start a new site, and they would have to get athletes to come out for that program, whether it was a women's program or a men's program. And that's going to be the highlight today. Right now, we're going into our recruiting season, where we're trying to fill our rosters for our town programs, our high school programs, our women's club programs. And so this is going to be the focus of today's podcast. So welcome, Jackie. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Sorry for making you chase me. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> I was just busy chasing my toddler, so you had to chase after me. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So. Well, I think it'll be worth it. So when you were at Beat the Streets in New York, how did you end up there first? Just kind of tell us the origin story, how you ended up there and what drew you to the program. And, and then we can get into some experience stories. Yeah. the So I am originally from California. I grew up wrestling there. Started in middle school, was the first in my family to wrestle. So I was just attracted to the sport. I was a kind of a competitive I don't know if aggressive is the right word to use, but I was a I was a I was a physical person who needed an outlet and had stumbled upon tryouts on accident really and like was obsessed the moment that I walked in that super stinky room. How did you stumble upon it? The flyer or was it That's such a good question for this specific podcast, huh? They had announced it over the loudspeaker in my middle school that there were gonna be wrestling tryouts after school and to like just come and check it out, minimally come check it out. And I think a bunch of people wrote it off, but I was like, wait a second, I'm like doing that already illegally on the playground. <laughs> Maybe I should go see what this is about. And when I, it was in our cafeteria, our middle school cafeteria, we didn't have like a wrestling room, you know, it smelled terrible and there was way too many people and such a tiny space, but it was like, the energy was so cool and it just was fun, right? So I took a, a sheet home after that and begged my parents and my, I think my dad was like, she's not going to want to do it. And my mom was like, yeah, probably not. But if she's going to quit anyways, we might as well give her the chance to try it. So they signed the sheet and that was the end, <laughs> the end. Here I am. <laughs> so 
I, I ended up, you know, wrestling, matriculating from middle school to high school, totally different ball game there was there were actually a lot of girls on my middle school team and in high school it dwindled down a lot of those girls came initially to try and then it just trickled like you know one by one different interests happen or whatever so I ended up finishing as the only girl on my team my junior and senior year and I had been getting recruited for a college program called Menlo College which was the was the only women's program back then in California and it happened to be only like two hours from where I lived. So went to wrestle in college and wrestled there for four years under the late, great Lee Allen for the first three years. If you don't know him, big mistake, look him up, learn. He's like Yoda or something. He was amazing. And then my final year, I actually had my very first female coach and her name was Marcy Van Dusen. And she was a 2008 Olympian and was just revolutionary for me. I've never had a female coach in in wrestling. So when I graduated, I had decided I was done competing. And she was starting to help build Beat the Streets LA and Titan Mercury Wrestling. And she just, she had kept asking me if I wanted to get involved in Southern California. And for some reason... Unbeknownst to me, I was tired of California. I don't know. The sunshine and the sand and the happiness. I don't know. <laughs> so I went to cold East Coast. She told me that there was a, you know, if I wasn't interested in LA, she really thought that there was a, a, a special position in New York City with kind of the headquarters, Beat the Streets. They were starting their dedicating, building girls and women's programming, and they were doing that by being the first to hire a full-time female coach and director of programming. And she thought that I'd be a really great fit for it and told me to throw my hat in the ring and really helped me along the way the entire time, helping with my resume, helping me practice my interview, all of it. And she, I guess she was right. <laughs> I, I, I fell in love with it the moment I was there. And, and I think, I think she also scared me a little bit too. She was like, I know people, you know, if, if you say no, if you don't even put your interview, your resume in, I know people, I'll tell them. <laughs> so I think initially she thought that I would be interested in it because my own upbringing was challenging, I guess, you know, I had my, I had an addict. My father was an addict my mother struggled with her own addictions and my father's happened to be worse. So it was just a very, like, it was challenging, challenging home life, not a ton of stability, not a ton of support from my parents. Very fortunate to have a family that really stepped in when I needed it. But I think that all the things I was searching for that kind of like consistency, that stability, someone to really hold me accountable and tell me yes and no, just structure and family was found that moment that I stepped into my middle school cafeteria for tryouts. I was like, here it is. This is it. It's pretty awesome. So you end up coming to New York City and you show up and what are you supposed to do? Right. Correct. What am I supposed to do? <laughs> and I, I think that Beat the Streets also was like, yeah, I don't know. What, what, this is our first time doing this. So what do you think we should do? You know, so I, I think that I should say that before, before I was there, 
an incredible woman named Cheryl Wong had was the beginning of girls wrestling for Beat the Streets. She was only able to be part-time because she had just a powerhouse position outside of wrestling. But she is the one that really got girls wrestling going there. And then I came in and adopted it, I guess I would say, from her. And then tried to live up to what she had already done, which was amazing. So I think... It was their, like I said, it was their first time having a full-time position. And at the same time that they hired me, they also hired a full-time boys coach and director of boys programming. So they were really diving into, hey, we need to get more kids involved in our programming. And the only way to do that is to make sure that there's a full-time person dedicated to doing that. Their brain needs to be thinking about it 100% of the time. I know from conversations with folks that were in leadership roles at Big Streets at that time, in New York City, they had expanded exponentially and gone from 23 wrestling programs in New York City to 89 or 90 in a matter of three or four years. And as far as I understand, some of the programs cost the same amount of money to run a program with three kids as it does with 35 kids. And so some of those programs were potentially A, on the chopping block, or B, it it was really part of that early job. Like you had mentioned briefly to to get kids on these wrestling teams yeah i remember for many years for my first i don't even know two or three years the conversation all was always quantity over quality our mission right now is to get as many kids on into our programming both at the schools that we have teams at and in our we had like a standalone facility at the time like uh club style. We went into schools and started programs, helped get kids on those teams. And then we also encouraged those kids and those coaches to get involved in our programming outside of the school. And then there was just kind of like this ladder, I would say. There was always another step for both kids and coaches to to pursue if they were interested. So I remember at the time it was quantity, like let's get as many kids as we can involved in these programs. Let's get as many programs as we can in the city. And all of it was around the the goal of giving the same kind of opportunity to inner city kids as rural or suburban kids got for wrestling. You were there in those early days in the growth phase. And I know at the end of your tenure there, mine as well, they they shifted more towards quality focus, right? And that's a big focus now. Um, but I understand too, from just talking to Mike Powell and, you know, watching him build be the street Chicago, they, his theory was always, you got to have kids in the programs to be able to change their lives. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. And he is very adamant, adamant about it, you know? And so you guys were in that phase where you were truly building a wrestling culture in an area with 500,000, a million kids and no, and no wrestling. No. Right. Right. And I think no wrestling. <laughs> no, like zero. It was zero. But and so back to your. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about WWE and bringing folding chairs later. But yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. I mean, I thought that. But when when I tried out too. When so, you tried out for wrestling, you went out because you thought you were going to W. I literally had only ever seen. So like I said, nobody in my family has ever wrestled right like my dad actually did when I was like a junior in high school I brought him to an open mat and he tore his literally tore his ACL at one open mat I was like okay so maybe not but it's crazy my coach did it too it was an accident but it was wild no I had only seen WWE 
WWF at the time, right? It wasn't even WWE yet on TV. And I was like, yeah, I'm into it. Jumping off ropes, hitting chairs, funky costumes, whatever I'm in. And then obviously when I walked in the room, that's totally not what I saw, but I was, I was game. I was down. <laughs> and I think many kids still think that, that I worked with at least. Did you, as you, so you get into this, this role, this situation, you're in this growth phase, you're tasked with filling some of these rosters, right? You've got these programs that were already created or you're creating new programs. Let's focus on the ones that were just created, right? So we got a, a wrestling program added at MS, you know, 431. And all right, they're going to start November 15th and it's October 10th. What do we got to do to get kids on that map? Mm. Yeah. So I think pretty early on, I just want to go back to like those very beginning days. I remember this was my first big girl job, right? I was like, wait, yesterday I was bussing tables at a restaurant and today I'm in charge of changing, hopefully changing kids' lives. <laughs> right. So I like showed up in my very first office that I ever had with a computer that was given to me by the company. Right. I'm like, wow, I made it. And then I sat down and I was like, now what? You know, like, I'm like looking at the computer and I'm like, okay, so, well, I guess I should start figuring out where the girls are. And then I was like, okay, hey, New York, what's your guys' website that you go to for any local girls tournaments or regional girls tournaments, events that are happening? They're like, yeah, that's that doesn't exist. <laughs> and I was like, in California, there were like multiple websites that just listed out every single event that was happening for any girls ever camps that were going on. Cause although it was small, then it was much bigger than anywhere else besides like maybe Texas or Washington or something. Right. So I remember being at like zero. I don't actually even know where the girls are to like talk to. And so I just thought back to maybe my freshman year in high school, my coach was like, hey, if we want to get kids to like, we shouldn't even be thinking about just our high school team, getting kids on our high school team. We need to start thinking about being mentors to our middle school kids. And he would have us a couple, you know, times throughout our season. Our team run was from our high school to the middle school. And when we got there, our practice was after the middle school practice. So we would get there, we would help coach the middle school practice, and we would then do our own practice on their mats, roll up, clean up, and then head out in a way to like create this integration, right? So part of it was we would go do these gym class kind of takeover things. And I was like, okay, maybe that's what we have to do. Like if I have no idea where to find any girls or boys for that matter, like I was in charge of the girls, but if I don't know where to find kids, I guess I just go to where they're at already and stole it from my, my high school coach. And I, I kind of just thought, well, maybe this is the route. I'm just going to talk to the coaches at these middle schools. These, well, we didn't have middle school programs at the time when I got hired. I'm going to go talk to the coaches at the high schools, see if this is something they're interested in. And then we're going to talk to the school, like the athletic director, and see if compliance-wise this is okay. And I'm just going to show up and roll out their mats, and we're just going to make it a section of their PE. Like for the next two days, you're going to be doing wrestling and getting exposed to wrestling. How did you get these gym teachers to be on board with that? Or even the principals or the superintendents? Yeah. So 
I think that every teacher needs a break every once in a while, (laughs) you know, like they're surrounded by like a lot of kids all day long. And I didn't actually get any resistance from teachers. Athletic directors were kind of like, because I was backed by an organization that was trustworthy, that was responsible, that had like, you know, what's the right word? A reputation, a very positive reputation in the city. And we worked with the city's athletic league, right? The PSAL, we were kind of like double backed. If I was coming in and I was said I was an employee of of this organization and I work, you know, hand in hand with the public school athletic league, the teachers and the athletic directors were kind of like, sounds good to me. Interesting. So if I'm in Kinelon, New Jersey, and I don't have the backing of Beat the Streets New York, and I don't have the backing of the PSAL, but I do have a relationship with the rec department as a coach or or the high school coach who's the gym teacher. What route would you suggest I try and take to get one of these gym class takeovers in their curriculum? I think that probably the high school coach or the middle school coach is the one that's going to be doing it. And they're likely hired through the school and in that way they have a backing where they there's a li- liability is covered right like there's a background check they're already welcomed into the school so i would i would bet that if they approached you know end of school year teachers hey next season we want to start doing like some recruiting leading into our season and here's maybe a gym class takeover we want to do a mock game tournament or you know like they can make up whatever they want to do but that high school or middle school coach, I would say like if they coordinated by the end of the season before, like the school year before, and also then talk to those teachers, those PE teachers and athletic department at the beginning of the new school year, just to like multiple touches, I think matter, right? I would bet anything that those teachers are like, yeah, here's a chunk of time where we're supposed to be doing, I would say pickleball, but now that's the fastest growing sport in the the country, right? So (laughs) we're doing table tennis or something like happy to give you one day during there. And is that what you'd see typically? Would you see them getting you in multiple times or just be like, you're going to do three hours of gym class one day. That's all you get. I think it, it matters. So the structure of the school mattered. Some schools had like a, a days, B days, you know, where it was different, you know, on Tuesdays you get classes two, four, and six on whatever. The next day you get the other classes. So in situations like that, I would hit two days in a row and I would just be there all day and dedicate my time to just being in every single class start to finish all day. In other ones, you would get, you know, if the structure was periods one through six you see in one day, then same thing, I'm there all day. But then I would also start to do, after a while, I would start I can't really remember when I started introducing it, but I think obviously if there's nothing to show up to after school, like if you're like, Hey, wrestling's really cool. Come try it out. Which like we can talk about what you can do actually on the mat with kids. That's like not life threatening. And you know, yeah, let's um, based on that next, definitely. Okay. So like once you kind of introduce them and make it fun for them and they see it and they try it and they feel it, if you're like, cool, it's nice seeing you. Ho- hope you come out. Like, they're gonna be like, what? <laughs> come out to where? Like, what What do you mean? You know, so I think somewhere along the line, I was like, I'll stay after school. And we'll do like a very short 45 minutes or one one hour 
practice, you know, and it can be with the coach. Hopefully it's with the coach because then they're like getting a relationship with who they would be working with. Or it could not be if that coach is not available. Like a lot of them are teachers and a lot of them do multiple, coach multiple sports, whatever. But I think it was very important that they had somewhere to be afterwards so they could get familiar with, hey, this is where you would be practicing. Hey, this is who your coach would be. And here's kind of the general structure of what you'd be doing. Warm up, you know, like team talk, warm up, whatever, just along a similar structure. Um, right. So that's your post, post-school clinic. Um, yeah, your gym class takeover, right? It's the first time any of these kids are seeing wrestling. Half of them have blue jeans on. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> may or may not have a wrestling mat rolled out in the gymnasium. What does that look like? What it was your like standard curriculum for what this thing looks like? Because I got 40 minutes to sell a kid on gym who does has never bumped shoulders with anybody, let alone wrestle them. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny because I think you have to like really assess the situation when you get there. After a while, I I had it like, I feel like I had it down to a science where I could like look at the space and be like, okay, cool. No wrestling mats. Here's the different games we're going to be playing. You know, like, oh, wrestling mats. Here's the different kind of like warm up we'll be doing, moves we're going to be learning or really was one move, but broken into like six steps, right? So that Nobody was getting hurt. Everybody had like something to pay attention to. I guess what I'm saying is every, every, there's no one right way. (laughs) Like you will have to adapt it to the environment and the kids age group, majority male students, majority female students, co-ed, like some schools are going to have every kid changed in their PE clothes. Cool. Some are going to be in jeans and like leather jacket. I don't know, you know, like the least wrestling stuff fine. Like, what can I do to make it work? What I found was first you talk about it. Like you briefly talk about, Hey, this is wrestling. It's not WWE. There are no ropes and chairs. There's no body oil. There's no weird costumes. There's no storylines, you know, or I guess there are now I, I, there's storylines with whatever, but they don't know those. Like here are the rules to it. Very, like very dumbed down wrestling for dummies. Like, the goal of wrestling is to get somebody on their back that, so they can't get off their back. That means you won, right? If you can't get them on their back, you can get points just like every other sport. So I think I would be like, okay, like, how do you get a point in basketball? How do you get a point in football? How do you, you know, like, just you get points, right? And there are different kinds of points, right? Like, the, the closer you get someone to their back, the more points you get, the less you get them towards their back, the least amount of points you get right so that's it the goal take them from their feet to the mat ideally get them on their back if you can't get them on their back let's get some points and beat them that way right and then I also remember being like there's a thing called a I related it to like like a mercy rule right like a tech Right. So like you can also get so many points, which is actually even cooler than pinning somebody like it's like embarrassing for that person. Right. Like, you can get so many points that the referee and the people in the stands and whatever, they're like, let's just stop it right here. We'll pick it up a different day. Right. So. <laughs> so, yeah, like a brief what what's wrestling? How do you get the points and then get them on the mat like ASAP and also just honor anybody who doesn't want to do it and. Like, don't pressure people because I feel like that's so rude, right? Like, 
they're their own person. They can choose if they want to do it or not, you know, like, but leave it as an open space. Like if you decide along the way that you want to come in, we'll find a partner for you or be involved at whatever degree you want to be involved. You can watch, you can participate, you can like do half, whatever it's open space. And then I would take them through one move and then we would play a, a crud ton of games, working them towards that move. Oh, pretty much. Right. Yeah. So I got, I usually would always, some crowds you could tell were like rowdier. So they would want to learn like something big and flashy, like a throw. Right. And in that way I would like teach an arm spin or something very like something that is like, maybe not. What did I teach? Maybe like a, I can't even remember. A fireman's. I think one time I taught a fireman's because it's just literally like on your knees and the other person just rolls. Right. So like, yeah, like take them. Child fireman's. Yeah. Very, yeah. Very slow. So, but most of the time, I think I would teach a single leg. We'd break it into a few steps and always like some ground rules, right? Like everyone's facing the same direction. There's an A person, there's a B person. Ask and recall, like which hand am I using? They have to repeat it so I can like understand. They can understand safety stuff. We don't fall to our back. We're going to turn and go to our belly, you know, just like very that way and then we do a game we do tons of games we things like each person has a wrist you know your goal is to like get the person to step like pulling get the person to step or your goal is to touch a knee like we're just doing knee tag touch a knee your goal is to touch a foot toe tag right your goal is to touch a foot with your foot so that kind of thing your goal now is to Get your hands locked around the leg, right? As long as you, I don't care how it looks. You could be on your back upside down in between. I don't care. As long as your hands lock around their leg, we got it, right? Like, and then just gradually from there. Now your goal is you have to have, get the hands locked, but you also have to get the foot off the floor, right? Like, and just kind of build them to what they already learned step by step. Cool. It's amazing. I love it. Yeah. Hey, you got that lock. Good. But that builds a confidence too. Instead of worrying about at that early level, can you catch a football, right? Oh, you caught it. Great. Doesn't matter how you caught it, right? Doesn't matter Super if you stepped out of bounds. Doesn't matter. Like, no, you got it. And you're like, oh, maybe I can play football. Right. Do you know how brave it is to put your body underneath someone else's body? Like, if you've, like, never had done contact like that, that's brave as heck, man. That's brave as heck. So I think, like, getting them to, like, getting them, hopefully what they're doing is, like, we're building off the last thing, right? Oh, Another thing is I always went backwards. If I was teaching a move, I would go from the the end of the move to the beginning of the move, right? So like with a single leg, we would start with the person's foot is up in the air and we're just uppercutting and then hooking, hooking their foot, the person falls. And then we just worked backwards from there. Like and I the maybe line so then they could get to it. Just reverse teaching. Right. So then after that, it would be kind of like standing in a sumo, grab like, like sumo squat, lean in, stand up to like pledge of allegiance. Oh, you're already at where you just were. Now you just trip. And then, you know, just kind of go backwards on it. So same thing with the games, like edging towards what they already know. Like if you're grabbing a wrist and you're getting them to step, that's creating an angle, right? They don't know that. They just think they're getting the person to step. And each time they get them to step, it's a point, right? Like, okay, now you get them to step, but you have to tap a knee. Cool. That's a penetration step. Awesome. They have no idea they're doing that, but they're doing, they're creating an angle and they're doing a penetration step. Nice. Now you can 
get him to step, but you have to grab the leg. Okay, they're committing to a shot. You know, they have no idea they're doing it, which is super fun. And I think actually in, in when I was in Boston, Bjork Wigny would do these like knee tap tournaments, which I thought was brilliant. Like we didn't do those. I never did that. But it was a way for them to understand that this sport is both individual, like, you know, you could have a dual meet kind of a situation, but this taught them that like many other sports, there's a tournament where in the end, two people or two teams come together and you you figure out who the winner is. And it was just a knee tap tournament. So like the winners would just keep going against each other until finally it was a big circle and the, the last two were there and you, they did a knee tap in the middle of everybody watching, like a crowd cheering. And that was your that was during your gym class takeovers or your recruiting days, the knee mm-hmm. tap tournament. Oh, that's mm-hmm. So like, it, I thought it was really, I like I said, I'd never done it before. We would like do a ton of these games and be like, end with questions, right? But when I went to Boston, a few times she would have them do these like knee tap tournaments. Like they, you know, Boston had a totally different structure for how they did gym class takeovers. I learned a lot there. I, that was one thing I was like, oh, brilliant. Cause how can you explain a tournament to somebody who's never done a tournament before? And I think that's taken for granted being that most of us assume some level of understanding of the tournament. But if you don't have a parent that's into sports or you haven't competed in a sport, how do you know a tournament structure? You don't. Right, right. I also think, too, there's a, a general consensus that you can't be, right, a lot of these gym class takeovers are probably going to be run by coaches that maybe don't have a ton of wrestling experience, and we want to give them the confidence to be able to be like, oh, I can do that. And when you gamify it, you make it simple to understand games, not only can an athlete quickly pick it up, right, but you can empower uh, somebody with relatively minimal experience to be like, I can run that. I can do that. Yeah. Right. I, I knew of a soccer coach this year um, in New Jersey who zero wrestling experience and the high school didn't have a high school coach. They were going to cut the program and he loved in the community as a soccer coach. He said, OK, you know what? I'm going to take this on. And he stepped up and became a wrestling coach. And they had wow. a, they ended up I believe they they did an article on him. I think they started the season with 16 kids. They ended with 54. Whoa, you know, here's the like hidden gem about people who've never done, who've never competed in a sport that they end up teaching is that, how do I want to say this? One, they make it fun, right? Two, they're not bogged down by like the technical things that we get lost in. Like we all get lost in the woods, right? And people who've never competed in it, they they cannot do that, right? They can't get lost in the woods on it in in the most positive way possible, right? Like what's the core of what we're doing? Great, that's what we're doing. And I think that that's like such a beautiful thing. It, it, it makes it feel approachable for everybody. It really does. And there was a few things that you said earlier about your descriptions for wrestling. Well, that's an angle. You just give them a step. That's an angle. And I was like, oh, yeah, so simple. <laughs> You know, like the you way know you describe what? it opened my mind up. I'm like, wow, yeah. <laughs> and so but let me also, right? Let me also add that I should edit. We should edit this. Or no, not like physically edit the the podcast, but like let me edit what I was also thinking during this when you said that. So, um, I realized after going into enough schools that every sport has its own verbiage. Right. But wrestling, because it's like not it's a niche sport, even though there's so many people participating. Right. 
our verbiage is not translatable to everybody. So things like, like I said, like if I got my hand up to my chest for tripping a, a single leg, I call, I start calling it pledge of allegiance. Right. Or like we say things like run your feet or, you know, I, I can't, I'm trying to think of things I would replace. Like instead of like knee sliding, I would be like, we're making a C with our foot, you know, like we just have to replace words so that it, almost like you're, t- you're talking to a toddler, like how can you get this person to fall or how can you, you know, like just, oh, I, I totally get it. Peter does the baboon. Baboon is a tripod. He does, right. the, he does the turtle, right? Turtle's a base. Um, yeah. We play a little game called wrist snatchers. And I come up under his armpits and I grab his wrists and he rolls his wrists out and yeah. he's peeling the rings off. And, you know, I, we don't overcomplicate it because he's three years old and he Correct. has no idea. But when he's playing with daddy and he's being a baboon, he does turtle the baboon. He's wrestling. Amazing. Right. So I think I want to bring that up because like when you're if if I think it's super important trying to get new kids to participate is it is scary to try and it's even more scary if you have no idea like imagine trying to go into a wrestling practice something you're comfortable with and you know and they're only speaking russian i would be like whoa i don't know maybe i'll take a step back and this is something i love doing right yeah i totally get it totally get it as a midwestern moving to new jersey i went to an italian deli and i it took me six months to walk in the door knew how good it was, but I was scared because I didn't know how to speak the language. And not that it was Italian. I didn't know how to order the sandwich. What's the process? I pick up the bread here. Then I have to tell them what meat to put on. <laughs> oh, don't get any condiments or they'll make fun of you. Like, I didn't know right. what to do as a Midwesterner moving to New York City and, and getting the Italian sandwich. Like, correct, it's yeah. terrifying. And it was because of the language, new environment, language. And as a 24-year-old, I was fearful of that. And, and it kept me away from it. You're right. right. And that was a sandwich, not wrestling. I wasn't getting smashed right. into the ground. <laughs> right. Like, I like eating. Yeah. I like it a lot. <laughs> yeah. But there were six months where the only time I had those sandwiches when my friends brought them over for lunch. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, you, you can order from me, right? Right. That Yeah, that's that, that language barrier is another exclusion in addition to the discomfort, the hard, you know, the typical hard too hard of a wrestling environment that kids are brought into in the early stages of their career. Yeah, there's a lot of negatives holding us back. I think that that's super important. So like, it's all coming back to me. Uh, Like I've been full-time mama for a chunk of time now. So my brain has calloused over with like newborn and toddler and no sleep, but it's all coming back to me. I think that I also, I, I, I think it is beneficial to start the entire thing, any gym class takeover with discussing the common fears, like point systems is one of them. What do you have to wear? People don't want to wear singlets. I get that. I sure as hell don't want to be in a singlet anymore. Right. Like, but now it's like for a long time, New York city was the only one, Thank you to Ken Bigley for this, but was the only one that had made it legal to wear like a compression shirt and fight shorts, right? So talking about like 
you can wear almost like MMA style attire or you can wear a singlet, which is pretty much what a swimmer wears, except there's shorts attached to it. What a sprinter wears, exactly. What a football player wears, except instead of leggings, it's shorts, right? Like just making it like, okay, that's the attire piece. And then most of the stuff I feel like comes from, most of the fears come from like, oh, I can't, I can't do it because of some sort of self, like what, what's, I can't think of the right word. Like people thinking that they're not good enough for whatever reason, like whatever they they think the worst about themselves comes out and why they can't do, try this. I, I'm too big. Actually, no, you're not. This sport has a weight class from like, depending on what state you live in, 97 or 103, all the way to like 255, right? Like there's a weight class for pretty much everybody, right? I'm not strong enough. Well, actually, you don't have to be super duper strong, right? Like you can be super flexible. You can be super fast. You can be super big. You can be super small. You can be super strong. You could be like gifted with the athletic touch from God herself, right? (laughs) But, or you could be someone who is like None of those things, but you are an impeccable learner. Like you love paying attention and you love being a student and you're going to make progress, right? So I think like talking about some of the biggest fears in the very beginning and then encouraging people to come out and try and saying like, hey, we're just going to play a lot of games today. You know, like we're going to learn it through games. I feel like I found a lot of people more receptive to it, right? Like it, it, it almost was like, well, don't, don't worry about it, dude. Like I'm certainly not the strongest person out there, but I did love learning, (laughs) you know? Yeah. No, that, 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 that one resonated with me as well, where if I was new to it, it makes a lot of sense. If I'm confident in my learning, but I'm not an athlete in my identity, I'm going to say, I can fit. That's brilliant. I love it. So we, I, I want, to get you on another time in 12 more months um, because there was a couple of things that you said that stood out from your coaching insights that I think are really unique. And so it would be awesome to get you on just from coaching best practice insights another time if you're open to that. Yeah, I would love to. I mean, we're, we'll weave it between bedtimes. Yeah, <laughs> but this 10 p.m. recording. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so a couple of things to wrap us up. If I'm unable to get a gym class takeover, do you have one other thing that you saw really help build your programs that you would recommend someone tries? Okay, I would do literally anything under the sun. I remember sitting, setting a table up in cafeterias for some schools that I couldn't do gym class takeover. So I just sat in a cafeteria I had information, I had videos, I had members that were already on the team there, like talking, I talked to myself and like students, if coaches could be there, would go talk to literally every single table for every lunch break, which was like same deal all day. I think if there's another sports team that like you can create like a sisterhood or brotherhood with, really help them out, football. Obviously, there's a lot of of people that translate from football. So if you could be at a football game and like 
you know, like repping gear or helping out or doing a halftime show or like something silly with like the football coach and the wrestling coach against each other on something, you know, like just getting in front of a lot of eyes, I think is big. And then handing out information. I think a co-training experience or a cross-training experience, like if you have like a rugby team or honestly, like I feel like cheerleading, swim, like as far as like predominantly female sports, like dance, cheerleading, some like swim, all, all that kind of stuff. Those, those women translate really well because it's footwork and agility and balance and attention to detail, right? So if you could do a cross-training thing, like a fun, like, pre-season or post-season practice where like they teach you to do tumbling you teach them to do some sort of move you know like and create a camaraderie there I feel like the list can go on and on you just got to get creative on like how you can create relationships with other teams because like really the way to get more people involved is like kids getting their friends involved and like creating a positive culture on campus and then creating a, a great camaraderie with other coaches, you know? So this, I think the sky is probably the limit with getting people involved. Oh, it, even like, like a, like a homecoming thing, like just putting a mat out in the middle of the quad, or if there's a club day, having a table set up for like the sport, you know, just literally anything announcements on the loudspeakers flyers inside of bathroom stalls, <laughs> you know, like where are people like looking at things when they don't realize they're looking at things. That's all awesome. And and it sounds like it all kind of come back, comes back to, you just got to get in front of people. Yeah. That is a really great way to sum it. Get in front of people and be the squeaky wheel, man. In conclusion, I always like to ask if there's a parent, a coach or a wrestler listening to this, is there one resource that you can point them to and it could be something that you're working on as well that you really think could benefit the listeners today. Can it, can it be something that I haven't read, but that I want to read because of this exact thing? Yeah. Okay. I think it's called nudge. Is that what it's called? Do I have it up here? Maybe it's in my bedside table being like sitting there being like, read me because you want to, but it's all about like shaping the environment to nudge people towards the decision-making that you hope that you think is like good decision-making for them. Right. So like the same thing is like, I think changing the options in a cafeteria, kids start to eat healthier. Duh. Right. Like whatever is around them is what they're going to eat more of, et cetera. So if you can like, I think this book, the reason I wanted to read it is it was hopefully going to teach me how to subtly change the environment to of like schools, of clubs, of my community to help, you know, nudge coaches, nudge athletic directors, nudge like, you know, whatever toward being more inclusive, being like essentially helping me build my program, right? Like build my program and then keeping people excited about it. So I'll let you know if it actually ends up being a good one. All right. Perfect. Nudge it is. Well, Jackie, thanks for your time today. Thanks for sharing your vast knowledge, which I clearly goes deeper and deeper. So we appreciate you making time away from the family and, and helping all the listeners. Thanks for having me. Super All appreciate right. it. Yeah, this is great. All right, and I'm going to throw it over to our closing now. And that is the business of wrestling, brought to you by Wrestling IQ, software and systems to help you grow your wrestling team. Hopefully, this podcast has been helpful to build the sport in your community. And thanks to our innovative guests for sharing their insights and learnings. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. 
It goes a long way in helping us bring you more top-notch content and innovative guests. Remember, the world of wrestling isn't just about what happens on the mat. It's about the coaches who shape the future, the entrepreneurs who build the foundations, and the passion that drives it all. If you have any questions, suggestions, or want to connect, you can find us on social media. You can also learn more about building wrestling in your community by going to our website and Googling Wrestling IQ Academy. Until next time, keep your head up, your stance low, and keep pursuing excellence. Thanks for learning.